Welcome back to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I am your host this week, Father David Mowry, chaplain to the Movies by Minutes community. Now, unlike the rest of our illustrious hosts this season, I do not have my own Movies by Minutes show. However, as the uh, spiritual guide and chaplain to the community, I, I am part of everyone's show in some way, shape, or form. And uh, it's been my pleasure to be part of the Movies by Minutes community for several years and happy to be part of uh, this little experiment here looking at the best years of our lives. And I'm also very lucky to have a guest with me to start us off on this Monday. I'm joined today by the co-host of the Minute Impossible podcast and co-host of the cast and the furious, Jonathan Howell. Jonathan, welcome to the show. That is the quietest I've ever been for the first minute of any <laughs> podcast I've ever been on, ever. And that is it. That's As it. promised, we will go to Dairy Queen and I will get you whatever you want. I'm lactose intolerant. Don't take me oh, there. No. Can we go to can we, can we go to um uh I like uh the 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 custard from um you know what I'm talking about the the place that sells the fish sandwiches um Culvers. Culvers, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got we can definitely go to Culvers. Yeah, wait, so, oh, no, hold on. So Dairy Queen no go, custard okay. We haven't figured it out yet, but somehow adding more eggs to it makes it eat <laughs> makes it just fine. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's that, that protein that you need. That helps it go down smooth. I have, I, I'm a proteinist, but not a <laughs> – I can't handle dairy. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. It doesn't make any sense, but it works. Well, then we'll, we will, we'll get the Culver's after we talk about minute 51 of the best mm -hmm. years of our lives. Thanks for this top-notch minute. <laughs> well, I almost called you Dave. Hey, Dave, thanks for that, that top-notch minute, Dave. <laughs> you are welcome. Well, minute 51 begins with Millie turning off the lights – and it ends 60 seconds later with Fred turning in his sleep. You gave me sleeping drunkman <laughs> minutes. Well, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had an expert on to talk about this. No, I'm kidding. No, I've, I don't sleep anymore. That's that. Uh, not with not with COVID. I stay up really, really late all the time. Now, it's all I do. I play video games, talk to my friends till two or three in the morning then go to bed well that i think that's about the time all these folks are getting to bed they had a late night you know we've just had al a lot his, of clubs yeah alan is found dragging his family to all those various bars and establishments of various reputations so yeah it's got to be two three o'clock if not later yeah and he picked up uh picked up two uh scallywags on the way <laughs> one went home now there. Now let me let me give you my let me give you my back. Uh, oh, you tell me your background with this movie. Uh, what what what's your thing? My back, this is your show. My background with the the best years of our lives is that uh, I had a friend who was putting together a movies by minutes podcast about it mm -hmm. and asked me mm -hmm. to to host a couple of weeks of it. So this is the first time that I've uh, seen this movie and I'm talking about it in a serious way. I really enjoyed it watching it for the first time. I was expecting. A movie made in the 1940s about World War II? Okay, all mm -hmm. right. So I'm going to get a little jingoism, going to get a little like, oorah America kind of sentimentality here. But, boy, I was really surprised by how human the story was here and how well the screenplay and the characters were depicted. I didn't feel like this was a typical World War II movie. There was such a, a sensitivity to the, the trials and travails of veterans coming home that I have not seen in any other movie from this time period. I am the same way. Never seen it. 
some people had chatted it up to me that it's a great movie and I should watch it. And I love this time period because I'm always fascinated by any movies made during or almost after World War II because it's such a weird uh, like to, to have these type of uh, refuges from the war, like, you know, mm-hmm. Casablanca and these other movies that were made during World War Two, And you're like, it's crazy that they're talking about it. Like you would think, because in, in, in my mind, and this is could be completely wrong in my mind, the 1940s, you did what you were told, said you were going to do. You didn't talk bad about people in front of their faces and everything was kind of a polite society. Mm. And this movie really pushes that and makes me go. Oh, good. There are people that were pissed that the soldiers were coming back and taking their jobs. They were, it's interesting to hear that kind of things. It's interesting because we all have seen, you know, you've seen every Vietnam movie where right. the, 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 the uh, military person comes back home and cannot connect, reconnect with their old life. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. We're all very used to that, but we did not get that with World War II. One, we were too young. We didn't exist when these movies were even in, you know, 30 years later, they weren't even, you know. Yeah, so, my parents but, didn't exist when this movie right. came out. None of our parents did. Yeah. They were all, yes, that's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's one of these things where we don't, we, but also I don't think they made a ton of movies about the plight of the GI when he came home. As comparatively to to what they did in the 70s and right. 80s and 90s. Because, you know, after Vietnam is when everyone went, you know what? we lost the war and we're not perfect. And we should probably talk about this horrible thing mm-hmm. as opposed to World War II. You're like, well, we won. We, we won. <laughs> Pat so, yourself on the back, everyone. High five. Good war. Uh, maybe <laughs> a, good war, everyone. Good war, everyone. Good job. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, I, I'm also thinking about how we didn't grow up in a time during the draft. There was sure. not the same universal experience of people going to war and coming home from war we came of age during a time of the volunteer armed forces and so those who were coming back from war they were even more isolated from the general population because they were coming uh they were fewer in number and were coming back to families who were for the most part already supportive of their military service and or kind of knew what to expect mm-hmm. in world war ii and in vietnam you just got drafted and you just went over. And so you, you had your whole life uprooted going over to serve in some strange country where you don't speak the language and everything is trying to kill you. And then all of a sudden you come back and in... people don't like you because you fought in the war. It's like, it's like you came home to a hero's welcome. Mm-hmm. It's like, how dare you even be drafted? It's like, dude, I had no choice. And that, then they went over there and I was tortured. Yeah. And, and I came back and it's still bad. Yeah, that's what I love about the the scenes that we had leading up to our minute today. It's not a smooth reentry for no. Al and Homer and Fred. Everything is not laid out like you would expect it to be, where there aren't people waiting for them when they get off the plane and they get the big ticker tape parade here in Boone City. But they yeah. have to catch people unawares because you know, Millie and her kids weren't expecting Al to come home, much less than drag them to every single bar in the city uh, i have so many thoughts i wish we could talk about the kids because those kids are the best because it's, i'm just like that is the g willikers of this movie <laughs> are the children i mean i know that the, the um that his daughter becomes the you know like the love interest of uh 
Uh, yeah, as we get a little, we get a little bit of Peggy sound asleep uh, today, but yeah, but yeah, it's it, but the son's the best because he's just like, oh, geez, Mister, <laughs> he's he's the whole movie. He's like that because at one point he's like, if I came home from war, my kids would not have the wherewithal to know to go out and get my bags out of the hallway, right? And he, when he does that, I was like, that's that that kid's spot on. That kid's got it figured out. <laughs> Also, he looks like he's 45 years old. He's probably 16 years old or, or less. People were born old in those times. Mm-hmm. They got older yeah. much quicker than they do now. My hot take is this movie is fantastic. I loved it. I actually thought the one person who had it the worst physically, Homer, had the best story. You were talking yeah. about like how, how hard their transition was. His transition was all internal. It was all him being like, I'm not good enough for you. You shouldn't be with me. Right. I'm a monster. Whereas she's like... I love you. I want to be with you. You know, and like her parent, his parents were really not, everyone's really nice to him. No one treated him badly. Everyone was more fascinated with his, um, uh, his handicap. His prosthetics. Than, yeah. Yeah. More, more fascinated with it than like, except for that one guy, you know, later on that like, you know, uh, you know, poo-poo's it. And that's how, um, I keep forgetting his name. Uh, how cliff, not, not cliff, uh, Dana, uh, how Fred gets fired, you know, you know, that guy mm-hmm. there, but really that's very little of that on homer's shoulders in this minute homer's thinking about something he's sleeping in what looks to be his childhood bedroom and Mm -hmm. there's there's very uh first time home from college energy in this scene when he's got all the pictures what looks to be of his uh you know college football team Mm -hmm. and you and he's got looks like maybe his. do you think homer went to college oh not college no i guess it would be his high school team yeah, that's what I, I was thinking that only um, I, I think Fred did not go to college. No, Fred didn't. I'm thinking uh, our uh, uh, Mr. Banks is the only one who uh, <laughs> yeah, Al, went to college. Al is definitely college material, uh, even yeah. though uh, his wife, Millie, uh, is, doesn't quite know what to do with him here. Oh, she's the best. I mean, I, we get to, at least we get a little Myrna Loy mm-hmm. so we can at least say, hey, there's Myrna Loy. So we can at least say, hey, there's Myrna Loy. She's. She really is good. And the fact that she, I mean, I'm sure that someone has talked about it. She's never won an Academy Award is ridiculous. There's a surprising number of people in that club. And uh, Merle Loy is just another person robbed by the Academy. Well, t- speaking of robs, I'd like to talk about this robbery. I, I don't know if anyone's brought it up because we don't hear other episodes before it happens. The poster for the best years of our lives makes me so mad because they just <laughs> left off Homer and it drives me nuts. Oh, that's there's literally right. a space for him. And it's just like, nah, don't have him on there. He's got weird hands. Let's not put him on there. You're just showing his face. Well, because he's, he's a complete nobody. He's but not going to drive the ticket sales. Do you think Virginia Mayo was driving tickets? I She's mean, barely in the look, movie. I, I don't know. I'm looking at Virginia Mayo, and I would go see a movie with her in it. All right. But yeah, I, yeah, there is there is a perfect space for a. Six well, they definitely head. built it up, and they're like, no, 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 take it out. <laughs> Some guy was smoking a cigarette at an ad age. He's like, ah, no, it's in. He's a nobody, but he's in the movie. He's one of the three people. Nah, who cares? Put Myrna Loy first. Then <laughs> that Nazi looking that uh, the, the, the guy who looks kind of like Adolf Hitler, Frederick March. <laughs> we gotta push these tickets. Yeah, then Dana, t- Dana Andrews, the good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Then the dames. <laughs> and don't put, for love of God, don't put Homer and his horrible robot hands in the poster. <laughs> they're like, but we're not even going to show his hands, sir. I don't care. <laughs> I know they're there. It's just going to be a headshot. I'm going to know. I'm going to be bothered. Every time I look at his face, I think he's got no hands. I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring that up since we are talking about travesties. That was a travesty. <laughs> 
it, it, and it really is. He does such an outstanding job. I mean, Harold Russell was a complete amateur, and they relied on him to do a lot of heavy lifting. And the director having the gumption to put a actually handicapped person in mm-hmm. a movie in 1946 is groundbreaking. Right. I don't know. I, I, I mean, again, I'm not an expert on this time, but I cannot think of another movie where someone who had a disability like that, other than like a limp, mm-hmm. you know, there were people that had limps, but no one was being, being put in movies at that point that had um, who was considered other. And yeah. It's, it's just like, whoa, this is refreshing. And it's it's treated very honestly in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just in this scene here, what I love about um, the what we get with Homer's bedtime routine throughout the movie, it we have a increasing amount of vulnerability as Homer is getting ready for bed. Because here we only have him underneath the covers. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. even see him get into bed, and we have no idea how he managed to get himself ready for it and then, i assume she dressed him she i mean mom or dad must have helped him i, I well i don't uh, well both of them i mean him al all of them how they got in bed because they all <laughs> wear so many clothes reminds <laughs> me of my grandfather my grandfather wore like powder blue like james bond powder blue uh pajamas every night tops and bottoms yeah well they're just yeah al and fred just get dumped into bed because they are just right. absolutely wasted by the time they get to the Stevenson apartment. Yeah, you don't want the daughter undressing a literally a stranger in the house. And you know, yet last week we we saw Peggy being you know, very uh, understanding as she was helping Fred get to bed, and as Fred helped himself a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a that part. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's happening here? <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I don't like what this is. I don't yeah. like what this is. Okay, also, no, too much, too much reality movie. Okay, we, we were good with the amputee. Now this this is too much. Don't like where this is going. The the one thing that also makes it, it makes me think that you know when you're like all right you're you're it goes back to its 1946 norms is every time Al gets drunk there's this little jaunty tune that plays mm-hmm. and it's only a sad song when when uh, Millie is there. Mm-hmm. Only once there is a disapproving woman. Yeah, when she looks at him and, and is like. Oh, he's such a problem. But every other time that he's drunk, it's just like, bum, 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 bum. it's like, it's, it's that kind of music. And I'm like, it really bothers me that that was, I mean, let's think about it. Think of how many people pretended to be drunk in the sixties and seventies. And that was their entire bit. Dean Martin, that other guy, you know what I'm talking about? Um, you know what I'm talking about? The old guy, not WC Fields. Well, yeah, he kind of did that, but that's much further back. Uh, he's the guy who can't talk like that. Uh, I forget his name, but he became, it doesn't matter. He, he's long gone. <laughs> Godspeed, funny man. Uh, you know, Millie has a look on her face as she jumping back to the beginning of the minute. Millie just has this look after Al has drunkly pushed her away. She gives a very understanding eyebrow shrug. Like, well, we're just going to have to make this work. Oh, man. <laughs> to be fair, he did just come back from the war. I would allow yeah. him one night to blow off some steam. Absolutely. Although, yeah, earlier he's he's the sergeant. You know, he's you know I love the don't call me sir. I'm a sergeant. Mm-hmm. Always a great line because that's in everything from Band of Brothers to everything. It's always very important that I am not a sir. I am a sergeant. <laughs> that's right. And it made me laugh. Um, it made me laugh earlier in the movie, and it made me laugh later in the movie when it's always he's always like the gruff. 
He's a sergeant. But the mm-hmm. one thing he does say is like, I was out there in the trenches facing savages. I'm like, okay. Oh, right. boy. I'm like, okay, Al. I see where you're going here. <laughs> Al, Al has some uh, baggage we're probably just not going to unpack in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Al has. Because these... he does that with his kid a couple times. He's like, like they're, not, they're different from us. They think they're, they, have, they place so much value on their family. It's like, no, that's not weird. Well, that's their that, culture. That's, it, you know, totally normal. And that's again, that son. I love that kid. Mm-hmm. That kid's the best. Well, yeah, the, you got to love, you know, the son is the very day his dad gets home. He's asking about, so what do you think about the nuclear warfare we just did? Do you think you have, do you think you have radiation poisoning? Not right now. Uh, not, no, Rob, no, later. no, later. Sh- no, just let, let dad unwind. He's, He's experiencing peacetime shock right now. He's literally been in the house for 45 minutes <laughs> and he handed you a samurai sword. Can you please just chill out? But yeah, so every, everyone's getting settled here. We have, I, I love the way this, this minute plays out where we move from Millie turning off the lights to get ready for bed. We move to Homer awake in bed, uh, thinking about how weird it is to be back in his childhood home. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Teresa Wright as Peggy sound asleep on the couch has uh, dropped off right away. So it establishes this nice uh, sequence to establish that the whole city's now fall fast asleep and everyone's settling down for the night. But, I, you know, in, in this situation, I, I don't know if I would be able to drop off uh, without a couple of stiff drinks like Alan Fred had. I mean, mm-hmm. Like Homer, I would probably just be wide awake thinking how weird it is to be back home after you know for for homer spending so much time in a bunk somewhere in a ship you know crammed in there with a hundred of your closest crewmates to quote uh what winter Sol or winter soldier the beds are too soft I feel like a marshmallow it feels like i'm gonna sink all the way through that's what they talk about when they mm-hmm. come home like you can't go from being sleeping in barracks in the ground to a bed and just be normal it's just not gonna work and also the sounds the the there's no din of sound there's mm-hmm. no yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, just so you know, I, I was looking at this is what I do during the podcast. I was looking up most famous high functioning alcoholics in history. Oh, good. There is a list. Um, I thought uh-huh. you would enjoy this. All right. Uh, let's hear it. Vincent Van Gogh, Dutch painter. Thanks. Sure. Uh, Stephen King, American writer. You know what? That's not cool to be on this list. I don't think. <laughs> um, Alex- now that you're two names in, you're suddenly realizing, wait, maybe this isn't a great distinction to have. <laughs> yeah. Alexander the Great, Macedonian king. Did not know he was a drinker. Oh, yes. We learned something. Uh, Leonard Nimoy. Really? I assume these are people that either had a problem and got help because some of these people are still alive. Uh, Betty Ford, famously. Mm, yeah. uh, Buzz Aldrin. Ernest Hemingway. Oh, boy, that's unfortunate <laughs> with a Buzz's first name. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's in his name. Well, I mean, I'm Ernest just... Hemingway. Sure. I mean, I, he was I'm sure he was permanently sloshed. Yeah. And it's just funny that there's this list. And then there's Samuel L. Jackson. I'm like, what? wait, what? And it just says, he's a successful actor, but during most of his early career as a stage actor, he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol. This seems like a very judgy article. His first role upon completing rehab was a cocaine addict in Jungle Fever. Huh. Huh. Was it, uh, it was an article written by the Temperance Union of the United States? Yeah, I think, I, it, no, it, it, it says journeypureriver.com, which makes me feel like there's some sort of judginess mm-hmm. okay. to this, so... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty funny list that people are on. It's that they're on this list. It's like, hey, <laughs> like, wait a minute. 
And how how would you know unless these people were, you know, like in terms of recent actors and figures, they'd be open about it. It would be known that they were getting rehab and they were talking about it. You know, yeah, for like historical figures like Alexander the Great, I don't know how you would know that exactly. They attribute his behavior to alcoholism. That sounds like Uh, speculation to me, Your uh, Honor. You think? Yeah, I'll I'll allow it, counselor, but <laughs> tread lightly. Tread one foot in front of the other on this straight line. Well, because it just diminishes so many people. It's like Stephen King, high-functioning alcoholic. He's like, hey, I write a lot of books. That Well, that was the major inspiration for him writing The Shining. He was working yeah. through his own alcoholism, and that is the main demon of that book. And it was Stephen King's way of working through his own issues. I wonder if there. I wonder if people who saw this movie, I mean, it did really well. It did ten point four million dollars, which at the time was insane. Yeah, I think it was highest grossing of the forties. I think that's what it came out as highest grossing movie of the forties. Mm. Anyway, it's or one of it. It's one of these movies where it's like I bet a lot of people that you know this. Shut up! Don't talk about your problems. Really identified with this movie mm-hmm. because how many people in America were? How many men were in the draft? How many hundreds of thousands of people? Yeah. had these problems when they came back and it's beginning to see a movie about this where it's not really a real town, but having Boone city was smart. Right. Having it not be having it be in USA. USA. Yeah, that was good. And none of them beat their children. And like, none of them are like having like real problems. Like they're just like, they deserve this misery. Mm-hmm. They're all relatively good guys. Al's probably the least. I mean, he's definitely a little racist, but yeah, I mean, hey, they all were. It's 1946. They're all a little, a little racist. racist. Has the biggest problem with alcohol, and yet he is able to take advantage of his position of power in the community mm-hmm. to do right by other veterans, even when he's told not to. Exactly. So, I, mean, the guy, I mean, the guy's got gumption. He's mm-hmm. got. I like that. Yeah, you know, I, I think to your point about the movie providing a point of contact with men coming home from war, it, that that's absolutely spot on, I think. There's not the same culture around therapy or counseling and right. a no lot You're of... weak. You're weak if you did that. And you hear a lot of stories of World War II vets coming home and never talking about yep. what happened. And the the psychological pressure you put yourself under as a result, it it would be great to see depictions in a film where those issues are treated, you know, seriously. We're not getting into any deep psychological analysis in this film, but Homer and Al and Fred's experience as veterans are not cotton candy. It's not all sunshine and rainbows when they get home. And just at least to see that depicted in fiction allows the veterans to feel like, okay, I'm seen. Uh, Someone out there knows that this is not easy to come back home. Yeah. And it also maybe helps people that were in the other, uh, the other positions in this story. To Mm -hmm. me, the people that mostly stand out, it's not the guy who runs the um, market slash what, like, you know, like now I like a, like a store, like a, a, um, uh, it's like a Woolworths, Type of store, yeah, it's the it's, dime, it's yeah. the it's the nebbishy guy, the guy that like oh they're gonna take my job, you know that guy. <laughs> like those kind of people definitely had a chip on their shoulder already. Mm. They were classified four F or whatever, could not go to the war, did not want to. I mean, no one wants to. No, although this is the only generation. that's like, look, I'd re- I'd rather just volunteer than get drafted. Mm-hmm. Because I'd rather be next to another person that volunteered. Exactly. And so that's always stood out to me because I'm a big World War II buff, especially the um, 
the Band of Brothers and mm-hmm. the 101st and the Airborne. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I've read a lot of those books over the years, and it's just amazing that an entire generation would be like, I'm not standing next to a draftee. It's like, well, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it, where the rest of us are like, I don't want to go. Like, mm-hmm. I, well, how do I get out of this? It's just a different, a different attitude, but when they come back, it's these people also are resentful of them. Yeah. Because they're heroes. Like, ugh, do we still have to treat them like heroes? Get a it's job. Like, yeah, get a job, loser. You know, it's it's oh. and they all feel the pressure. And I liked also that, you know, not all of them are successful. I mean mm-hmm. Dana, I'm calling him by his real name. Dana Andrews, Captain Fred Derry, is you know, he he he's not shooting for the stars. He literally is a soda jerk, an ex soda jerk. And the guy's like, Do you have any managerial experience? He's like, Nope. It's like not even a little, like I'm trying to help you out, maybe get you to be a manager. <laughs> Like, nope, didn't do any of that. Just drop bombs. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, well. He has no salesmanship about him. Right. So Fred, you know, Fred, you know, Fred, at the end of the movie, the, the whole point of the end of the movie, spoilers, is that, you know, it's going to be hard. But mm-hmm. we're going to do it together. And that's that's the uh, – someone was someone asked tonight because I said what I was doing. And they were like, is that supposed to be uh, a joke, like the best years of your li- our lives? And I said – the one thing I said was it is depending on how – it's not a joke if you think about it as – what makes you stronger? Yeah. Is the worst things in your life what made you stronger? Do you look back on it, not fondly, that's the wrong word, but do you look back on it and go, without this, I wouldn't be where I am now, and I, so I am thankful this happened? So I think that's where the best years of our lives is like, mm-hmm. these are the best years of your lives because you literally came back from something that was horrendous and made something out of yourself. And you didn't give up. Yeah. And it, it takes time to work through all those issues. I mean, we get the beginning of Fred tossing in his sleep here as he mm-hmm. revisits in a nightmare some rather unpleasant memories from things. Yeah. So it, right now, Fred would not say these are the best years of our lives. He has some work to do still. You were talking about uh, those people who you know come back and have to you know, try and readjust to civilian life. Jonathan, was there anyone in your family who ever uh, served in the military and had to make that transition back into civilian Only life? Only my grandfather. My mm-hmm. grandfather served as, um, he was a chief petty officer and he flew, they flew between islands. He did a lot of paperwork. So he was never in any, any action. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Way yeah. to go, buddy. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the bee's knees, I think for, uh, Oh, you're picking up the lingo. Yeah. I've watched this, but it was, it was two hours and 50 minutes. So yeah. But what an experience. Yeah. So, but it's, um, and my father could not go because he was the sole support of my family for Vietnam. So he could not, I was a, I was not alive yet because the war was over when I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least almost over 74. So, you know, Nixon was about to be kicked out of the office mm. he was actually on his way out at fun that times point. yeah good times but uh, yeah no one no um my my um i i say this my uncle is uh a retired navy man mm-hmm. he worked on a submarine he was a captain on a submarine so oh submarine captain so that's like the coolest thing in that wow. but think about that that's during i mean it wasn't wartime but it was it was the your, cold war it's the red hunt for October. It's yeah. Are these people going to fire on us? They might. We all have nuclear weapons on these things. I mean, he he drove, drove. He <laughs> he captained a nuclear sub. So that's hardcore. You talk about the stress of war. Being underwater for six months. Yeah. 
with, with no contact with the outside world and at any moment the call could come in from central command that it's time to blow up the entire world and the way he came back from it is he now lives in wyoming uh, near no one mm-hmm. you know just having just enjoying his life he goes scuba diving and he, he you know hangs out with his kids his you know my, my cousins i didn't know there was a lot of scuba diving in wyoming no, he goes other places. He travels, like, oh, but he wants okay. to always come. But like, he kind of like sees it as like, it's just his quiet place. Yeah. And he, he, funny enough, he's the one who took care of our family genealogy. I just actually talked to him a couple of weeks ago because I was like, "Hey, do you have that digitally now?" And he's like, "Yeah, I've got it all up on ancestry.com." Mm-hmm. Like he did this years ago before the computer even. So because he wanted to have our side of the families, and he's very into that. Was his this was his coping mechanism? He wanted to learn more about our family and be alone and do the things that he wants to do in some big wide open spaces you know big yep. sky country out there yeah when you Wyoming. are in a submarine i would say mm-hmm. you never want to be in close quarters ever again yeah absolutely wow well it sounds like he he picked a good place and uh picked a a good hobby to keep himself grounded and and to make sure that he was processing everything he went through yeah and wow. my my grandfather, I never really knew my grandfather. You know, my mm-hmm. parents, my my mom uh, says that he was like more artistic, like he was very like artsy fartsy. But when he came back from the war, he was definitely not that. So I think that changed him too on some level. Sure. And I think that just happens to. I mean, that can happen to anybody. I will never. I will never blame anyone for losing part of themselves to something horrendous. So yeah. And it, it's all about how we welcome them back. Right. And, and how we treat them when they come back. And again, this movie does so much to present a, a community that, for the most part, welcomes these veterans back. You know, the Stevensons mm-hmm. in particular are a very safe haven for, for their husband and father, but also for Fred. The fact that they, they bring him back and allow him to sp- spend the night when he is absolutely passed out drunk is an incredible and make it moves on their daughter well that's <laughs> not so great but we'll just have to see how that plays out oh gosh i hope it goes well okay oh uh, well, well we'll have to see uh the and speaking of playing out the the music here uh, is uh, playing out from the nice peaceful strings that are lulling us to a sense of sleep but then all of a sudden the tension starts to build as we zoom in on fred tossing and turning in his sleep and there's the the rising tension. Oh, something's not right. Something's wrong with Fred. And it's going to break the attention of the scene. But what exactly is bothering Fred? We're going to have to find out next time. He's dreaming about those claw hands. <laughs> just, just cold metal hands reaching out for me. That'd be awesome. Fred's just like, no, get, away. get those hands away from me. Get them, get them away from me. I don't. The uh, ad man was uh, standing in for this scene. Like, oh, just what up. if Fred is haunted by the hands that he saw earlier today? <laughs> you're, you're hung up on these hands, sir. I think you're making too big of a deal of them. <laughs> yeah, they're really, it's really not an issue. No one in the movie is having a problem. No, no, I see them as a real big problem. And it may be the through line of the whole movie. Maybe at the end of the movie, the hands leave town. Oh, look at that. It's time for happy hour, sir. Oh, Greg, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll 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 get him his three martini lunch. Uh, but Jonathan, anything else that you wanted to say about this minute? No, it's great. There's no no there are no words. Literally, <laughs> yeah, there are literally no words in this minute. But uh, somehow we provided more than enough words for this minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Jonathan. No problem. 
Listeners, we hope you can join us again tomorrow as we continue to talk about the best years of our lives. Uh, you, you can find The Best Minute Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, thebestminutes.com. I know that uh, Al and Fred and Homer just came from Butch's Place, but uh, maybe you uh, need yourself a little pick-me-up. You can join us down at Butch's Place at The Best Years of Our Lives Listeners Cafe on Facebook, or you can join the conversation on Twitter at The Best Minutes. Uh, Jonathan, where can folks find you? Oh, uh, MinuteImpossible.com. We do a show about Mission Impossible movies. And uh, Cast of the Furious, we do one quarter movie at a time of the cast, the Fast and Furious franchise. So come listen to both and uh, find us on Twitter with the hashtag Gimme Dim Claws. Uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, definitely, we'll definitely talk to you about those. Do that, listener, and then join us here next time on the Best Minutes Podcast. Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.